Hey everybody, Steve here. Just wanted to do a quick reminder that this is our last month of the fall fundraising campaign. Out of a $30,000 goal, we have reached just a little less than 15000 so we're almost halfway there. But we're asking you to help push us over the top. Every contribution matters. They are tax-deductible, so if you want to get a tax-deductible contribution into a worthwhile campaign that doesn't give money or a quarter to pro-homosexual or pro-abortion groups like some other <clears throat> Campaign for Human Development funds do, please send a donation our way, and uh, we will do our best to make the most of it and to build and grow this into a Catholic organization and apostolate that you can be proud of. Thank you for your time. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the 1 Peter 5 podcast, episode 12. Today we talk Advent. Yes, it started last Sunday, and there are some things about it that you may or may not know. Not just that it's a season of penance, but also it's a continuation of the liturgical year that prepares us not only for Christ's coming at Christmas, but for his second coming at the end of the world. We'll talk about this and more coming up next. Rebuilding Catholic Culture, Restoring Catholic Tradition. So happy Advent, everyone. Nice to have you back. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Good Thanksgiving here. Still working our way through some of the leftovers. You know, you get used to making food for lots of people. I'm saying you. My wife is the one who makes the amazing Thanksgiving dinner. But... um. She gets used to making food for lots and lots of people. And then we had just uh, a few people over, uh, not the whole family, extended family like we've had in years past. And um, it was really funny because at the end of Thanksgiving dinner, they just kind of rearranged the food on the platters and it looked like nobody had eaten anything. So it's good to be blessed with plenty of food, but we need to... There should be, there's got to be like a blog or something that's just designated to repurposing turkey and Thanksgiving leftovers. Because after, you know, some turkey salad and some uh, some turkey taquitos, which were good, and just the regular old redoing of the leftovers, you kind of start running out of ideas. Well, at least I do. It's neither here nor there. So, I don't know about all of you, but there's something I want to talk to you about that, um, as an American Catholic, born and raised, I don't know if that matters, I don't know if it's because we don't have the same sense of connection to sort of our Catholic roots, but I haven't really, haven't given the season of Advent from, you know, a liturgical standpoint and perspective a great deal of consideration. And maybe liturgical is the wrong word. I don't just mean liturgical. I mean, you know, sort of the life, that living calendar of the church and the way that we observe seasons and things of that nature. I I don't think about Advent that way. I think about Advent as a Christmas season. I mean, 
That's what we hear all the time, right? You know in the back of your mind it's Advent, but you're thinking, hey, it's Christmas time. If we pay attention, though, it's an interesting time in the church. As we close out the calendar year and the days become shorter and darker, we find ourselves at the beginning of the church's liturgical year, the beginning. There's something primordial about this. It's like that saying, it's always darkest before the dawn. If you've ever had to get up before the sun for work or for school or whatever, and I would guess that most of us have, but if you've done that and you've had a moment to think about it, what is it that you feel in those early moments of the day? Stillness. Quiet. Anticipation. It's dark, like night, but it doesn't have the feeling of night. You can almost sense the coming of the sunrise. So if you're like me, and I do think that this is part of our human nature, there's a sense in which you savor those last moments of the darkness, where you can sit and contemplate without interruption. Maybe you love the fact that most of the world is still in their beds. If you have to go somewhere, the traffic is very light. The chaos of the day has not yet begun. It's almost like the world is your own. And you drink it in and clear your head, thinking about all that's to come, all that must be accomplished throughout your day. Advent carries with it this same sensibility. The darkness that's bearing the anticipation of the coming of the light. Literally, astrophysically, for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, the darkness of our days reaches its highest point just before Christmas at the winter solstice, where the days are at their shortest mostly darkness, only a limited amount of light. And then, bam, the incarnation comes. Christ comes, bearing the light of divine love into that darkness. And as the liturgical year progresses, we experience a lengthening of days until the season of Pentecost wanes again in preparation for Advent. There's a scriptural significance here. It comes from the creation narrative. In Genesis 1, we read, In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, and the earth was void and empty, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved over the waters. And God said, Be light made, and light was made. And God saw the light, that it was good, and he divided the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and the darkness night, and there was evening and morning one day. So we see in Genesis that darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved over this, and God's Word, His Logos, brings light to the world. We are reminded of this 
at the conclusion of every Mass in the Vedas Ordo as the words of the last Gospel are read. And if you don't attend Mass according to the traditional form, you may be unfamiliar, but every single Mass, high and low, ends with this Gospel, beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was made nothing that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to give testimony of the light, that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but was to give testimony of the light. That was the true light, which enlighteneth every man that cometh into this world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave them the power to be made the sons of God, to them that believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt amongst us. And we saw his glory, the glory as it were of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here again, we hear in John's Gospel, these concepts of light and darkness. The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus is the light. The word Advent itself means coming. According to the church's tradition, the four weeks of Advent represent the 4,000 years in which the coming of the Messiah was expected and for which the people prepared themselves. And we anticipate the great feasts of our Lord, how? Well, with a spirit of penance. We think of Lent in the modern church as our penitential season. But I think sometimes we forget, and by sometimes I mean most of the time, that so is Advent. During Advent, the priest wears purple vestments, color of penitence. The Gloria is suppressed during the liturgy. The altars are stripped bare of flowers. Marriage masses, nuptial masses are not said. There are days, traditionally speaking, of fast and abstinence, including, believe it or not, Christmas Eve. If you look at the traditional dishes, ethnic dishes for Christmas Eve from Catholic countries, you won't find a lot of uh, poultry or pork, or beef. It was fish. It was seafood. It was pasta. It was bread. These were days of fast and abstinence, the final days of penance before the coming of the Lord, not unlike Good Friday and Holy Saturday always traditionally were during Lent. Now, it's not enforced anymore, but this is how Catholics lived for a very long time. 
Advent is for us, or it should be at least, uh, sort of a little Lent. But who's ever heard someone, I want you to think about this, have you ever heard someone pass up some delectable little holiday treat at an office Christmas party or a family get-together, politely informing whoever offered it to them, no thanks, I gave that up for Advent. It's what we do in Lent. We don't do that in Advent. Isn't it what we should be doing? If I'm being honest, I have to tell you I don't want to. I love the Christmas season, as we now call pretty much the period of time from the moment our leftovers from our Thanksgiving turkey are shoved precariously into the refrigerator, and we're hoping that the door will close, until the night that we wade and stumble through all the torn wrapping paper and boxes on Christmas Day, dragging some favorite new gift with us to our beds. I love the decorations that go up too soon. I love the parties, the music, the festive and joyful scents, the crisp air, the smell of the pine, the ever-present baked goods that I don't eat anymore most of the time because I can't have wheat, the buying of presents. Look, people who know me can tell you that I am generally not the most cheerful guy in the room. But knowing that Christmas is coming puts me in a great mood. On some level, I suppose I'm probably still living the days when I used to get Atari cartridges stuffed into my stockings or the year that I'll never forget when we not only got a new sled under the tree and it was snowing, but we got a whole bunch of Star Wars figures, including a real exploding speeder bike from Return of the Jedi which was amazing. One button, boom, the whole thing blew apart into pieces. I still love just sitting in the dark, staring at the lights and ornaments on our tree, which I want to put up, like, right away after Thanksgiving, even though that's not the traditional practice. I love getting gifts. As a parent, I now love giving them more than I like receiving them. Yes, I know that this is not what Christmas is about. But gosh darn it, can we just have Jesus and Transformers and remote-controlled helicopters and cookies and bourbon and rib roast all at the same party? Is that so much to ask? And I don't know about you, but my family has had our share of slim Christmases. It always seems to be the time of year when For us, at least, money is the tightest. One year, we couldn't even afford a tree. We arranged the few meager presents that we were able to put together on some bookshelves sort of in the shape of a tree. We found whatever way we could to make it special. I'm at a point in my life now, at age 37, where there's nothing that I want that the lottery can't buy. All the big, expensive stuff, that's the only stuff I don't have. So what I mean when I say that, I have every material possession that I could really ask for. You know, you can always use some new clothes or a tech upgrade, you know, replace something that's wearing out. But the things that I want are bigger. I want to be a better husband, a better father, 
a better provider. I want to spend less time staring into glowing screens and more time reading real books to my kids or to myself. I mean, the irony, my phone is buzzing even as we say this. I just uninstalled all of my social media apps from my phone because I'm so tired of the distraction of feeling like I need to look at them all the time. Every time that thing buzzes, I want to see who wants my attention. Meanwhile, my kids are over here whacking me on the arm, saying, Daddy, Daddy, come look. And I'm not looking. Do you do this? I hate it. I hate it because I prioritize the wrong things. I want to have hobbies that don't involve a keyboard, a mouse, or a touchscreen. I want to have adventures with the people that I love in the real world. I want to be prepared for whatever comes, good or bad. I want a more profound spiritual life. I want to be more consistent about prayer. I want to stop committing the same sins all the time. I want to be joyful. I want to show people the joy and the beauty of our faith. I want to make better use of the time and the gifts that God has given to me. I want to love and be loved. I want to plot a course, a trajectory towards sainthood and actually stay on it. Now, if you show up at my house and you give me a gyroscopic quadcopter with an onboard HD camera all wrapped up in sparkly paper with a little ribbon on it, I'm not going to turn you away at my door. I'm a nerd. I like my toys, but I don't need them. I have been materially blessed in many ways, despite the fact that I have often found myself without even two nickels to rub together. But if I want to do these other things, these better things, these more important things, it has to start with prayer, a better relationship with God, penance, self-denial. I don't know about all of you, but I am absolutely lousy at those things, particularly fasting. I just get so hungry. And I give in because why not? I have food. It's good. I want to eat it. Aren't there enough things I have to offer up in my life? Aren't there enough annoyances and difficulties and trials? Doesn't the Catholic faith demand that I forego so many pleasures available in this world? Can I just eat something delicious? You know, do I really have to face all of these trials in my life on an empty stomach? You can probably tell that I um, am gravitationally enhanced. But I digress. How about complaining? Do you do this? I do it so much that I don't even realize it. It's sort of the way people communicate now, especially in an office setting. And now that I'm away from the office, it's a little bit better, but I still find things to complain about. But I mean, when you're working with somebody, how often have you found that you pick your favorite person to commiserate with and you look for something to complain about? Something that happened in traffic or something that somebody said or a customer did. 
and you go to their office and you complain to them and then they complain back and you just commiserate until both of you decide that you should probably just have a drink for lunch and maybe another one for dinner and yeah you you create stress but how often do we really just offer up the sufferings that come our way each day how often do we make a conscious effort to shut our mouths so that all the graces that we might obtain don't escape out of our whiny gobs. I'm challenging you this Advent to just think about penance amidst all the merriment that's going to go on and you're going to give in at some point. I know you will because it's Christmas and it's fun. Don't forget that we still do Meatless Fridays, actually all year, but particularly during these penitential seasons, even though it isn't Lent. You know, pass up on that baklava you really want to try, or that candy from Harry and David's. Wait a minute, maybe they just do fruit. Nobody eats fruit when you have the opportunity to eat chocolate. But, you know, lose the sugar in your coffee if you drink it with sugar, or drink just plain coffee instead of getting that caramel chestnut brulee, whatever it is, latte at Starbucks that's new this year. And good Lord, it's good. It's too sweet, but it's good. Get up earlier and pray. Get the rosary habit going. Skip a few meals. Did you know that, by the way, this is not why you should do it, but intermittent fasting is a way to trigger your body to start burning fat. Go go for 24 hours without eating something. Start it at night. Go to bed early. Wake up and don't eat until dinner the next day. You're not going to die. Do you know how many calories we're all carrying around with us? A lot. Train your body to burn them. It will. (sighs) Look, this isn't just for you. I am making this list for me. And I'm hoping that if I say it out loud, I might actually do some of it. Coming back to the liturgical year, something that I never realized is that according to the traditional calendar, there's actually a, a really neat continuity between the last Sunday of Pentecost, which... I believe in the new calendar is just called ordinary time, which is weird because there's nothing ordinary about the time in the liturgical life of the church. But there is, for us, the season after Pentecost. So the last Sunday after Pentecost and the first Sunday of Advent have continuity in the propers for the Mass, starting with the Collect. So if you look at the Collect of the last Sunday of the liturgical year, what we read is, O Lord, stir up the wills of the, of the faithful, that they may be more eager to seek the fruits of divine grace and to discover in your mercy greater healing for their sinfulness. In the Collect for the First Sunday of Advent, we read, Arise in thy strength, we beseech thee, O Lord, and come. From the dangers which threaten us because of our sins, be thy presence and our sure defense. Be thy deliverance, our safety, forevermore. As we end the year, we ask God to stir up our wills so that we will seek mercy and forgiveness for our sins. As we begin the next year, just on the following Sunday, we ask God to stir up his saving power to save us from the same. The cycle continues in an almost unbroken repetition. From the beginning of Advent to the Incarnation, to Christ's saving passion and death, to his glorious resurrection, to the descent of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost, to the feast of Christ's body and blood, 
to Mary's glorious assumption, to our celebration of the kingship of Christ in the last Sunday of October, each year, sacred mysteries repeat, carrying us with them through the economy of salvation. So in this new dark age of the spiritual life, this dark night of the soul for the church, our contemplation of these mysteries in this unbroken succession keeps our eyes on Christ, on the Blessed Trinity, and on our Mother, Most Holy. Guys, these are the things that are going to keep us in continuity with the mystical Bride of Christ, celebrated in unison with our brothers struggling here with us in the Church Militant on Earth, those in the purifying fires of the church suffering in purgatory, and those resplendent in glory in the church triumphant in heaven. Advent is a beginning. Christmas is a beginning. As the Christmas proclamation from the Roman Martyrology, which is read at the beginning of the Christmas Eve liturgy, the Midnight Mass, I should say, reminds us, in the sixth age of the world, Jesus Christ, the eternal God and Son of the Eternal Father, wishing to consecrate this world by his most merciful coming, being conceived of the Holy Ghost, and nine months since his conception having passed, in Bethlehem of Judah is born of the Virgin Mary, being made man. Christ's light enters the darkness. This is what we wait for. This is the anticipation of Advent. But we are reminded, too, of another coming. The Gospel for the last Sunday of Pentecost is taken from Matthew, chapter 24, and it speaks of the abomination of desolation in the temple, of the coming of Antichrist, and the second coming of the Son of Man, coming in the clouds of heaven with much power and majesty to gather his elect from the four winds. We are warned by Christ to look for the signs of this coming. On the following Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, we, we hear the same message repeated for the beginning of the liturgical year, this time from the Gospel of Luke. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations by reason of the confusion and of the roaring of the sea and of the waves, men withering away for fear and expectation of what shall come upon the whole world. For the powers of heaven shall be moved and they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great power and majesty. But when these things begin to come to pass, look up, and lift up your heads, because your redemption is at hand. And he spoke to them a similitude. See the fig tree, and all the trees. When they now shoot forth their fruit, you know that summer is nigh. So you also, when you shall see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen, I say to you, this generation shall not pass away till all things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away.
The world passes from the darkness of formlessness to the light of creation. It passes from the darkness of Adam's sin to the light of the incarnation, from the darkness of the crucifixion to the light of the resurrection, from the darkness of the coming of Antichrist to the second coming of the Son of Man in glory. In each of these cycles of light and darkness, the light, God's light, prevails. But we, too, have a role to play. We have to prepare our hearts and our souls for our God and King. Will we be ready? That's the question that we need to ask as we prepare for the coming of Christ at Christmas. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? You have been listening to the 1 Peter 5 podcast. This has been a production of 1 Peter 5 Incorporated, copyright 2014, all rights reserved. Please remember to visit us online at www.1peter5.com. That's www.1peter5, all spelled out, all one word, dot com. You can join our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash 1peter5. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash, you guessed it, 1peter5. If you feel we have provided you with something of value, please hit our donate page and make a contribution. It not only helps pay for web hosting and the fine content we provide, but keeps food on the table, coffee in our cups, and the lights on, which really helps us see what we're doing. Until next time, I'm Steve Skojek. Thanks for listening.